Hey, Risto here at George Mason University. I'm here with Marks Moody, who is an associate professor at the University of Minnesota Duluth. And we're here to discuss the article titled Seismic Shift in 21st Century PE, Survival of a Professional Field in Academics. Um, the article was published a little while ago in the International Journal of Sport and Society, but I think it's really relevant, especially with the peak collaborative we have coming up um, to discuss these topics. Um, so as always, I put the full citation of the article in the show notes. And Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, good morning, Risto. Thank you very much for having me. So I, I'm wondering if you can just start out by explaining what outdoor and adventurous activities are and how they've been worked into a physical education curriculum. Sure. I, I think for teachers in, in our peak classes that are outdoor and adventure related, we, we distinguish between outdoor pursuits and adventure education just to help guide our students um, to understand that, that there actually is a difference. So, mm -hmm. for example, outdoor pursuits, which is a category in the national standards, um, involves things like traveling through the natural environment without motorized transport. So this would be your biking, hiking, kayaking, canoeing, skiing, scuba diving. It could be on the face of a rock, uh, mm -hmm. such as rappelling or climbing. It could be through the air, uh, such as hang gliding, under the water, such as scuba diving. So those are just examples of outdoor pursuits. Adventure education is really more about group development processes and creating relationships between people. Um, you know, there, there's a variety of, uh, adventure education tools to use, uh, such as facilitation workshops, team building, the stages of adventure and group development that involve things like name games, um, icebreakers, communication, uh, problem solving, being a trustworthy person. And then sometimes, uh, even the use of a high ropes course. For individual challenge with the support of your group. Okay. So um, those are kind of the distinctions that we make. And then historically, this has been added into physical education national standards in 1991 by what used to be National Association for Sport and Physical Education. Mm -hmm. um, adventure education has its own history. Uh, you know, it, in the United States, starting with Outward Bound and then, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of Outward Bound being put in the schools in the 1970s and Carl Ronke coming on the scene to create the first project adventure. Well, physical education, uh, you know, it, it, it appears in, in the early 90s as a way to offer physical activity for your non-competitive learner. Right. And, and you talked about that in like the, how the 1800s, gymnastics, dance, calisthenics, and then 1950s, we move into more like team sports and then they got super competitive. And as a reaction to that and teachers kind of starting to notice that and leaders starting to notice that, then we add some of these more non-competitive activities. Um, and in, in the article, you also talked about how they, there's an overlap between 
outdoor pursuits and adventure education, but they're categorized differently, right? So there could be something that's an outdoor pursuit, but it also overlaps as adventure education. Um, In your program, do you split those or do you have an outdoor adventure and a uh, like outdoor and adventure education single class or do you have two separate classes? Um, it, it's a great question. So we, we do have a class called teaching outdoor and lifetime activities in physical education because mm-hmm. outdoor, uh, outdoor pursuits by definition are lifetime activities uh, according to the national standards and just by the nature of them. Yeah. Um, adventure education the, the easiest way for me to put it into the PEAT program is through our curriculum class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, um, we follow London Tanny Hill's idea in standards-based physical education of using a variety of curriculum models. Mm-hmm. And in their book, adventure education is one of the curriculum models. Um, so that's one of the ways that it, it can work. We also have a minor, and the title of that minor is Physical Education, Outdoor Education. So okay. if a student takes that, then they would also um, be probably inclined to take a class that we offer uh, called Ropes Course Management. Okay. And that is classically been for environmental and outdoor education majors, but we, we get physical education teachers in there because, I mean, really the first six weeks of it is technical skills. How do you set up belay systems on high rope score elements? And in the context of adventure, that ends up being 5% or less of your actual program. You don't need a ropes course to do adventure education. Yeah. The, the second half of the semester, which I think the students end up finding more valuable, is a facilitation workshop that was developed by Michelle Cummings out of the Association for Challenge Course Technology. And uh, I use Michelle's work and the work of Jen Stanchfield and uh, her tips and tools for facilitators. And they just learn a whole facilitator's toolbox. And so it, it just becomes then one of those things, once they learn those things, you, you realize you can teach adventure education through an outdoor pursuit. Yeah. We don't need a ropes course. We could go teach it on a hiking trail. We could teach it in a gym. We could teach it on a bike trip or a canoe camping trip. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, then it becomes just um, the creativity of the teachers using the tools that they have available to, you know, of course we add in, Moston and Ashworth spectrum of teaching styles, all the master teacher behaviors from Graham and others. Mm-hmm. And so once they get all these tools in their hands, they, they can really start to become really creative teachers with adventure or outdoor. Yeah. All right. So you, in the paper, you use this term 21st century PE. Can you explain some of the, I mean, we talked a little bit about the historical perspectives that shaped Pete and PE what kind of led us to where we are today and where, what do you see as like the status of adventure-based or outdoor pursuit education and, and P programs and PE? Well, I, I think you're, you're right on track, Risto. I have to 
revisit a little bit of what you already said. You know, this this may sound like an oversimplification to the Pete historian, but middle 1800s, gymnastics and calisthenics. You know, we're getting students ready to join the military, really. Yeah. And then this, this wave of change happens through the Industrial Revolution, and folks start to realize, well, we can't only work in factories 18 hours a day. We, we need a, a split between work time and leisure time. And so it, it takes almost a, a hundred years for the movement models to come on to the, the scene where the schools respond by saying, hey, with all this leisure time and the development of national parks, let's teach people how to do stuff. Sports and games, aquatics, dance, gymnastics, those kinds of things. Well, somehow through the cultural eye moving forward into the, the 1950s and 1960s, physical education becomes known as, quote, gym class. Mm-hmm. And as we move forward into the 70s and 80s, gym class becomes a platform for male-dominated, disorganized team sports in a lot of situations with very little instruction, uh, a hierarchy of bullying in the classes based on skilled and gender that often goes undetected by teachers. Right. And, you know, and so people like Linda Griffin come in in the middle 1980s and say, hey, here's what's going on in middle school team sports units, right. and it's awful. And so the response was, could we incorporate something that is non-competitive, still very active, um, and honestly interesting? One of the most, uh, the main predictor for adherence to a activity regimen is enjoyment. And so, you know, we start offering these these things like climbing walls and ropes courses and canoeing and hiking. Um, and the first wave of that is supported by the idea that it would simply increase self-confidence and self-concept. And, and that's a wonderful era. Um, move, moving into now, you know, in a, in a 21st century agenda, we move away from the terminology of gym class. And, um, you know, if we, if we look at the national uh, standards developed by SHAPE, the first category of activity listed is outdoor pursuit. The seventh category is lifetime activities, and it words includes all outdoor pursuits and a variety of other things and ropes courses. Yeah. So that's kind of how that moves into uh, the, the current picture. So do you do you feel like right now as as we're sitting here in 2022 like do you feel like the status of outdoor and adventure-based learning in in schools like K to 12 schools is strong or is there like tons of room to grow uh, Risto honestly I think it's both if you look at how much time it takes for things to take a strong foothold in education yeah. something having been around for 20 years is still honestly considered brand new there's a whole whole realm of teaching in PEAT programs and 
physical education in the in the public schools where people uh, thought it was just a fad that came and went. Um, look at another way, though, the fact that it's in the most recent national standards in the activity categories in two out of seven categories is a huge win. Yeah. Um, you know, I, in terms of status, I, I think having it in the national standards speaks volumes. On the other hand, when the rubber hits the road, uh, the room for outdoor pursuits and adventure as hasn't really reached its potential as an emphasis yet. And what I mean is we want our students getting licensed to have developmentally adapted physical education. We want them to have a health care because it's pretty rare for students now to graduate and get a, a teaching job without those. So it's easy to take outdoor pursuits and adventure as an emphasis and push it to the side in light of adapted or health. And in 21st century PE, what I'm saying is based on what we know about team sports participation after age 18, which is like less than 6% of people ever. Yeah. Two out of seven is about 30%. So in my view, one out of three classes offered could or should have a lifetime or outdoor adventure as piece of it. So that when we offer adapted physical education, it's built in. When we offer health, it's built in. When we offer physical education, it's built in. So I, I'm looking for PEAT programs and public schools to catch up and recognize that lifetime activity should be the hub of physical education. And the, the concept that it's the foundation is team sports is, um, you know, woefully outdated. Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm against team sports. I, I love football as much as anybody. I love watching sports and going to sporting events and playing games. But what we know is it's an amazing opportunity for youth up to eighth grade or 12th grade. Mm -hmm. After that, people aged 18 to 108 aren't playing football. They're, right. they're doing other things. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's been the kind of big conversation now is how much do we push team sports in in secondary schools especially like the i guess the issue is a lot of the pe teachers who become PE teachers be, do it because they had such an enjoyable experience in physical education and what was taught in physical education team sports they excelled they then are socialized into a profession and they continue doing the team sports but they don't necessarily remember the students who had a terrible time in team sports and and I think that number that you talked about of like the percentage of people who as adults go into team sports compared to hiking, biking, swimming, camping, all these like water-based sports and stuff, it's it's very lopsided. Um, but again, and and I'll get to these recommendations because one of your recommendations is not to get rid of team sports because it still is a valuable part of what PE is. It's just bringing in the other stuff. So 
Um, can you talk about the recommendations that you suggest in the paper for mm -hmm. Pete and physical education to adapt and move forward from where we are now? Yeah, sure. I mean, since, since we're, we're on the topic of sports, I, you know, you're, you're exactly right in the recommendations. They say don't get rid of it. Just de-emphasize it as the central hub. Mm -hmm. I think another missed opportunity is the, the values and uh, concepts being taught in adventure education are very similar in a lot of cases identical to what kids receive in basketball and football, you know, good teamwork, good communication, leadership skills and things like that. So, you know, one, one example of that for myself along the way, I coached a girls basketball team and it, it was young girls, but you know, honestly, basketball wasn't really my expertise. I knew enough about it, mm -hmm. but I, I told team on the first day that I met them, I said, we're going to do basketball, but we're going to learn it through the stages of adventure education. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they didn't know what I was talking about, but yeah. they said, sure. At the end of the season, that team won the tournament that we went to in a double elimination. And it was an amazing experience. And, you know, I, probably the emphasis was just a, a heightened sense of the affective domain beyond just knowing the name of your teammates and slapping high five. But, right. you know, so, you know, beyond, beyond that, I, I would say that um, for starters, recommendations in sync with the national standards. Yeah. Each program need to offer at least one class in outdoor pursuits it's a category mm -hmm. and another one in adventure education. And if they're combined because of curricular needs, that's okay. I, I just think it's important to uh, make the distinction so that teachers know what tools they have in their hands. You know, these, these words kind of semantically get thrown around outdoor adventure education or adventure based experiential, you know, and that's actually the name of one of the vendors in, ACCT, they build ropes courses, but, um, you know, if we can grab onto the idea that we're preparing our PEAT students to teach nature-based adventure or outdoor pursuit in the public schools, the same way we prepare them to teach basketball and football and locomotor skills and manipulatives and non-manipulatives. You know, we, we can, I think we can move forward. It also moves along that high quality physical education that London Tanny Hill are talking about. Mm -hmm. Standards-based physical education. Outdoor pursuits and adventure education are two separate models in, in their approach. And then, you know, lastly, in terms of just that part of Pete, um, if we can offer the opportunity during our early field experiences for students to actually practice teaching nature-based outdoor pursuit or adventure education the same way they're required to teach all of the other activity categories in a gym. Um, you know, that opens the pathway for our new teachers arriving on the scene to start offering those in schools. Mm -hmm. Therefore, schools don't have to go spend a ton of money training their current teachers how to do all this stuff. Yeah. 
it's already being offered. They show up as the new experts and they start offering. Right. So I think I think one of the things that you bring up is the combination of those two courses. And one of the things that we'll probably talk about at the Peak Collaborative is, um, you know, the credit requirements. I think 15 years ago, 10 years ago, if you wanted to add an outdoor adventure or outdoor education and adventure education course, you just add six units to your major and nobody asks any questions. And then some of the majors balloon to like 150 credits versus now so many universities are saying you cannot go over 120 credits. So you need to adapt, you need to modify, you need to re in like reinforce the learning in these courses you can't add anything unless you delete something and like for us at, at mason you know we've we've cut some things like the cpr first aid course was a two credit course that led to cpr first aid certification we took those two units took them out and said you have to get this these are the the ways that you can obtain this certification but you don't have to do a two unit semester long class to do it. So like moving things around to make space is going to be crucial. And some programs don't have a lot of space to cut. Like, you know, we're already, we had a podcast earlier about, um, about the number of units that, or number of credits that they're actually in pedagogy courses in the U S and it's end of the day, very, very low. So, um, I think that's the, that's a tough part is where to fit it in, how to fit it in. Um, and then like for us, and we talked a little bit about this at Mason, like we have a recreation course. It's not a fed course. And it used to be taught by um, a, a teacher who was teaching outdoor and adventure ed in high school. So she taught that as an adjunct for us. But since she's retired, now it's being taught in a more uh, recreation leadership uh, person who has different goals, right? So the transfer for, for his learning, what he's teaching is how to do outdoor and, outdoor and adventure-based learning for recreation, which is different than how to adapt that into a, a high, school, high school class in ninth and 10th grade. So I think that those are those are issues and I don't know how to, how to necessarily fix those issues yet. I, th I think um, those, those are great points, Risto. I think one of the, I've been fortunate to witness at University of Minnesota Duluth the exact process you're talking about. When I first arrived at the school, the, the, the Pete curriculum had not been revised since the 1960s. Hmm. And so we did a massive overhaul in 2010. Well, we refined it again a couple of years ago. And, you know, right around the time I wrote this article, we're sitting around the table forecasting what might happen. And then the shape standards came out. Outdoor pursuits and adventure are explicitly named alongside the other things that have been traditionally taught. Mm -hmm. So over the last two years, our peak team has gotten it to where we have just very strategically combined subjects without watering them down too much. I think we now have it where a, a peak 
person can get along with 110 credits and have 10 left over to pick something else. Yeah. And yeah. what we did was an analysis of the most popular programs in our region and then realized, gosh, we're overly robust in a lot of categories here. Let's trim this down and start combining classes. For example, we used to have one class called teaching outdoor pursuits in physical education. We had a separate class called teaching lifetime activities. We combined the two two credit classes to make a three credit mm -hmm. and it's now called teaching outdoor and lifetime activities. Yeah. We had a big dance class and a big rhythms class. We now have a dance and rhythms class. Yeah. Is it is it a, a panacea? No. There's there's going to be people that are unhappy because everybody wants their expertise category to be given the most time, right? Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. we, we want, I think we've done a really good job um, of combining things strategically, but it has to be based on the current standards, not what has always been taught over the last 40 years. Yeah, yeah. And additionally, I think one of the opportunities that I've had is my mentors in physical education were extremely open about inviting students to take pedagogy classes if their major was recreation or if their major was physical education. Mm -hmm. And so what, what they said is we are going to teach everybody the same thing. You will be prepared to teach this stuff in a formal school setting. So we took a peat approach. The recreation majors were not shortchanged though, because yeah. outdoor education, outdoor pursuits, adventure, those subjects are what they are. And when they're taught well, you can reach your audience. Yeah. What the distinction is, and this is no discount to any recreation program, a, a PEAT major cannot just enroll in a recreation class and then be expected to teach in the formal school setting, you know? But a, a recreation person could enroll in a PEAT class and they would get everything they need to do their community recreation yeah. or teach in the school setting. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think what I'm trying to offer up is the idea that recreation and programs and PEAT programs have a really awesome opportunity to be collaborating with yeah. each other instead of siloing from each other. Yeah. And with declining enrollments in certain universities, you know, combining and cross-listing those courses can be... Uh, a way to increase the number of students who are enrolled in those those key courses. So, um, mm -hmm. so as we yeah. kind of wrap yeah. this up, um, you published this work in 2015, and so I'm wondering, as you kind of have reflected on this in the last week or so, do you feel that the field has changed and moved towards what you suggested in 2015, or are, are these kind of recommendations and suggestions still exactly the same as you would, um, you would suggest? Well, I, I think there has been movement, you know, I, our, this is a repeat, but because of the way they've appeared in the national shape standards, mm -hmm. I think there is movement. The gap that still needs to be filled though, for me, for a 21st century agenda is, I still think PEAT and PE are drastically missing the opportunity to be 
collaborating with other fields to, to bolster up everybody. For example, um, in brain-based neuroscience research, it has been shown that academic information retention works the best when there is a cognitive experience mixed with an emotionally moving experience. Hmm. So out of that idea came this whole wave of people showing the positive effects of a nature-based outdoor experience during the regular school day on performance in reading, math, spelling, and science. Yeah. That's a huge opportunity for the school system to flip and our culture to flip and say, wow, it is now because of physical education classes that kids are succeeding in all their academics, not in spite of 1960s gym classes. Right. Um, I think another opportunity is to look at um, the effects of nature-based activity on the kids' anxiety, depression, and the need for pharmaceuticals in order to be able to cope with today's school setting. We have more students. We, we said 10 years ago we have more students than ever before. We have more students in the K-12 setting and in the college setting than ever, ever before suffering from emotional stress. And outdoor pursuits have shown significantly that that is another avenue for the reduction of stress and and you know when you combine that with bolstering academics it's a win-win for everybody yeah um you know then there of course is the health and obesity crisis there's um sustainability students having the opportunity to be stewards of the land in which they are doing these outdoor pursuits I, I just think there's that's the gap that needs to be filled. So hooray for the standards for sure. Mm -hmm. If any PEAT program is doubting that they can fit it in, just open the national standards and grade level outcomes to page 12. It's right there. Update your program and start to reshape how you combine classes so you still get, a, you know, an awesome amount of opportunity in uh, opportunity in each of the categories. And um, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity to move forward that way. Yeah. And and also, like, there every year there's some state that's redoing their standards. There are some states that automatically adopt the national standards. But, you know, in, in the two states that I've taught in higher education, which is California and Virginia, like, we don't follow the national standards. We We teach them in a sense that hey, these are the national standards, but nothing that happens is guided by the national standards. So the state standards in California and Virginia are really important and they get updated on a regular basis as well. So those people who are advocating for and sitting on those committees as well, it, it's it's smart to put that, put that in there. And obviously somewhere like Southern California versus Minnesota, those outdoor pursuits are very different because over the winter there are different opportunities in different places. And that's why I love like you, you put in here the Swedish fruits live and which is similar to the Norwegian 
um, aspect of just being outdoors. And, you know, I'm um, lucky I, I get to go to Norway in, in a couple weeks to do an outdoor edu- mm. uh, adventure, outdoor education overnight camping trip with the peach students there and like i'm it's just part of the culture and i grew up in finland and you put in here that a lot of the nordic countries they do skiing and um you know skating and orienteering and things that are part of the culture and that's where i learned how to do orienteering was in third and fourth grade you take a map and there's a forest right there and you just go and and I think that, you know, the, these sayings of there's no bad weather, there's only a bad decision on what clothing you picked out that morning. Like, just these ideas of you live in an environment, like in Virginia, there's a couple of days it snows and sometimes it's freezing for a while. And you have to know what types of activities to do in that weather. It's not just, I no longer can do anything because it's winter, you know, and I... Mm-hmm. It's like the mentality is different. Yeah, there, and I think, you know, to add to what you're saying, there's an an amazing opportunity for each region to choose the things that do culturally set them up for success with their students. You know, if we, you mentioned California, if you if you go back and uh, find the documentary, the Dogtown and Z Boys, uh, narrated by Penn, you have this group of young students in California that bring skateboarding off of the ocean mm-hmm. to cement weight. Yeah. So in a program or a PE program, I would, I would think you would want to be incorporating surfing, skateboarding, beach volleyball and ultimate Frisbee and disc golf and, you know, all these things that, you know, and that's exactly in sync with what London Tanny Hiller is saying in their standards based curriculum models it's reflected mm-hmm. in the standards uh we are lucky in minnesota i would say because the the state decided to really follow the national standards almost verbatim as their state standards mm-hmm. so it gives some lift to the conversation to say hey we should be doing these things yeah um you know and for the states that decide to go a different direction you know I guess they just have to make a decision. Do we want to stay in the 1960s or do we want to move everybody, including, you know, all races, cultures, and genders into inviting inclusive programs that are setting people up for success for a lifetime. So I think that's a really important question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mark, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you uh, sharing your, your work. Um, I'm going to put the full article link into the uh, show notes, and I'll also link to another podcast we had where Sue Sutherland came on as a part of Ben Dyson's pedagogy seminar. Um, she comes on to talk yeah. to Ben Dyson's seminar class about uh, the work that she's done as well, and I think that was a good um, good podcast for people who are interested in this topic. So um, thanks, Mark. I I appreciate your time, um, and uh, I hope to see you at Peak Collaborative to discuss this even further. All right. Well, thank you very much, Risto. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Awesome. So, uh, and thanks always to Abba Rodriguez for her work in producing podcasts, and uh, that's all we got. Thanks.
If you're still listening, you're probably really into health and physical education. So I'm going to use this opportunity to pitch our master's program to you if you don't have your master's degree yet. Um, our 100% online master's degree program we offer at George Mason is affordable. You can do it while teaching, and it's high quality. Um, Mason was listed as one of the top 50 universities under 50 years old in the world. Our education department was ranked in the top 10 nationally for the online master's degree program in curriculum and instruction. The master's degree uh, revolves around your teaching. So you'll use assignments from the classes to immediately apply research and best practices to your classes. You'll be part of a tight-knit cohort of health and physical education professionals who are passionate about teaching. You're also going to get an opportunity to interact with students in other content areas. So if you're interested, you can email me, look me up on Twitter, or you can go on the hpewebsite.com under study with us and watch a video that I've made.